Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's being billed as B-Day. Tomorrow, it's the big by-elections triple whammy. Three parliamentary seats are up for grabs after a series of Tory MPs quit, including one former Prime Minister. Boris Johnson is going to stand down as an MP. Nigel Adams, the MP for Selby and Ainsty, has resigned as an MP. Conservative MP David Warburton has resigned. These by-elections have come about after months of scandals and party infighting, and all of that during a cost-of-living crisis. So what are the voters thinking in the run-up to polling day? The Times has been finding out. There's such a bridge between politicians and the general people at the moment, and it's just, you know, a lot, a lot of them just cannot be trusted. There's no trust there whatsoever. We need a change. Not totally sure Labour is the one, but I think we need to get away from the Conservatives now. I think it would be fair to say the voters are pretty fed up. If I ask you to describe Britain in 2023 in one word, what would that word be? Shambles. Miserable. Crumpled. Feral. On the first impression, it's fucked. The government are already trying to manage expectations of what could be a triple defeat. It is very hard for governments to win by-elections. We've been in office for about 13 years, so it's understandable if we're not necessarily winning by-elections. Most Tories would see it as a victory if they managed to salvage one seat tomorrow. But with a general election predicted next year, could these by-elections be an indicator of how voters across the country are judging the government? Politics is moving past the media and the political class now. The public is paying attention. And I think the vast majority of people have just had enough of all this now and want some kind of change. The last time a sitting Prime Minister lost three by-elections on the same day was in July 1968, under Harold Wilson, and he lost the general election two years later. So could a lashing at the ballot box tomorrow spell the beginning of the end for Rishi Sunak? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, should Rishi Sunak fear by-election disaster?
I'm Tim Shipman and I'm Chief Political Commentator of The Sunday Times. Tim, tomorrow MPs will be in Westminster for the last time. This week, recess begins, they go off back to their constituencies and with the end of term, also come all the summer parties. And I know you've been doing the rounds for the last couple of weeks. Give us a sense, as somebody who's been there and who's been listening to the gossip, what's being said? What's the atmosphere been like? I think this is the strangest round of summer parties that we've had in a very long time. The atmosphere is quite weird. The Tory people are very nervous, constantly wondering whether they are on the verge of being turfed out of power after 13 years, and the Labour people are very nervous and wondering whether it can really be as good as it seems for them. The way you can tell who's up and who's down is who's there. The US ambassador has an Independence Day bash every year, which is one of the sort of the jewels in the crown of the <laughs> Westminster summer season. This year, they had a sort of VIP roped off area. They've not done that before. And you had to have an armband to get onto it. And the people with the armbands were primarily a lot of Labour frontbenchers and people from Keir Starmer's office. There were dramatically fewer Tory ministers than in times past. And it felt a little bit like a changing of the guard. That's so interesting. So that's clearly where the Americans think the next election is going. And tell us about one of the Tory gatherings in particular. Claire Coutinho, who is one of the sort of up-and-coming ministers, and Craig Williams, PPS to the Prime Minister and quite close to him, they had a get-together for the sort of in-crowd somewhere in Mayfair. And normally, this would be a kind of celebration of, oh, aren't we great because we're the ones running the country and we're the ones who are on the way up. And it ought to have been a kind of lovely, jolly gathering. Of course, these are difficult times for the Conservative Party. And Rishi Sunak, who is not having a great time, and he turned up to this do. And I've spoken to several people who were there. And they all kind of unprompted said it was a bit of a desultory affair. He, he felt he had to work the room he was going around, but he didn't look terribly happy about it. And Sunak himself was moaning to people, saying, oh, this is, it's, all, it's all terribly difficult, this job, and you know, there's lots... It's not really working out for us. And there's been a little bit of a sort of sense that uh, the PM's had a bit of a hissy fit over the last few weeks. I'm told he's now snapped out of it. <laughs> um, so he's cheered up a bit. But I think a lot of his MPs are concerned that this is a guy who needs to snap out of it fast and start telling the country why and how things might get better. And unless he does that, just grinding away, being a technocrat mm. and trying to solve problems is not going to be enough to win an election. And pushing aside his more upbeat mood, it can't be helpful to people in the party to see their leader in a bit of a funk. You know, it's very hard to feel inspired about the future if you don't have somebody who looks confident in their position. Just remind us what's been happening in Downing Street. What are the big factors for him? What is it that's really bringing him down? Well, look, at the start of the year, first week of January, he made a big speech and said, Five promises. We will halve inflation grow the economy, reduce debt, cut waiting lists and stop the boats. Those are the people's priorities. They are your government's priorities and we will either have achieved them or not. No tricks, no ambiguity. We're either delivering for you or we're not. Here are the problems that you want me to fix. And three of the five promises were to do with the economy, to do with debt and growth. But the big one was we're going to halve inflation by the end of the year. And at the time that was done, everyone thought, oh, that's going to be easy. That'll just happen. Why are you claiming credit for that? But now that's proving quite sticky. The other two pledges were on the NHS, getting the waiting list down. And I think in terms of the numbers, uh, they've done a bit of that. 
but the waiting list has 7 million people on it and appears pretty intractable. And then the other problem is that Sunak said, I will pass legislation to try and stop the boats and keep people from being brought over the channel by people traffickers. And that hasn't happened. They're locked in a sort of legal standoff over Mm. this policy of sending people to Rwanda. That's now going to go to the Supreme Court. So by this point in the year, I think Sunak had hoped to be able to go away for the summer and say, look, we're not there yet, but we've made some progress. And the plan that they had, which was to initially shut everything down, say Liz Truss and Boris Johnson was too much psychodrama. Let's take this new prime minister, Rishi Sunak, out of the public eye, get his head down, achieve some things. It just doesn't look like the plan is working at the moment. That's so interesting. And for Rishi Sunak, you know, not having been seen that much as prime minister because he was getting his head down and trying to fix things. What has all of this done to his poll ratings? How how is he faring? Well, I mean, not great. He still manages to be more popular than his party. But on the the Conservative home ratings, which once a month they ask Tory voters how they feel about members of the cabinet, Sunak has now plummeted very low and he's actually got a negative figure in that. I did a series of focus groups recently and the view of Sunak, I think, has changed. People were giving him the benefit of the doubt earlier in the year. They now think that he looks quite weak, that he's a victim of events, and they think that he's sort of out of touch. I don't think a prime minister has to be come from nothing to be successful. But how can a multi-multi-millionaire, how can they relate to what the working person goes through? Now, this has always been a danger for Rishi Sunak, who's incredibly wealthy, and we're in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis. Mm. But when people thought he was delivering, they were prepared to put that aside. But when it doesn't look like he's delivering, that's made some people think, actually, maybe he isn't the solution. Maybe he's now becoming part of the problem. And tell us a bit about this focus group, because this is a a Times focus group set up to get a sense of what's happening in this constituency. I mean, how many people were you talking to and were they all Tory voters? Were they a mix? No, these were all done for us by um, a guy called Luke Trill, who is a former special advisor to various conservative ministers. He tried to get a sort of representative cross-section of people that matched what happened at the general election. So they weren't all Tories, but mm. if the Tories got 60%, then he had a Tory majority in in his group. And it was quite hard to find anybody in any of these groups that was going to vote Conservative, to be honest. And you're talking to sort of seven, eight, nine people, depending on who turns up on the day. And you get a range of ages, people in their 20s up to people in their 70s. And with that in mind, we now have this big cluster of by-elections coming up. B-Day, as they're calling it, parts of the Conservative Party. B-Day? It's supposed to suggest that everything's going down the loo, essentially. (laughs) So morale is flying high. Tell us about the different constituencies that are are going to the polls. So firstly, Selby and Anstey in North Yorkshire. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I think the interesting thing about the tri-elections, they're all quite different seats. And if they lose all of them, that will suggest that the Tories are going backwards in quite different ways, in quite different places, against quite different opponents. So Selby and Ainsty is the seat that's been vacated by Nigel Adams, who was a close ally of Boris Johnson, the minister in his government. He was hoping to get a peerage, didn't, disappeared in a state of dudgeon. And it's one of those seats where it's quite a rural seat, 20,000 majority. 
That's you know, a very healthy majority. Well, look, in, in a general election, they would expect to hold it. But in a by-election, that's a very different state of affairs. And governments lose by-elections at a heck of a rate of knots. And we've seen in the past some truly astonishing swings against the government. So on paper, Selby ought to be the one that is most defendable. But I don't think that they think that they're going to defend it. The by-election is more like a protest vote. Yeah, exactly. And there's a bit of a ding-dong between Labour and the Lib Dems over who ought to be fighting them. But the expectation is that Labour will grab that. What are people there saying? What are their main concerns? Well, I think everywhere you go, the concern is primarily to do with the cost of living and the sense that the government is not uh, doing what it needs to do to help people there. you just got to cut back on certain things, um, even like gas and electric. Yeah. I've got a 14-year-old daughter that loves to spend 40 minutes in the shower. I don't know what the hell she does, but I'm there like timing it. It's, uh, you, you shouldn't have to do that. You work hard to look after you know, the family and you're having to like, be really strict and it's just sad. I think of the three focus groups I did, the one in Selby and Ainsley was the one probably the most critical about Rishi Sunak personally. I can't see anything that is really, really strongly led. It's just got no presence for me, as I said, or charisma or character. He's not somebody that I can actually believe he's going to do what he says he believes. At the risk of causing offence and resorting to caricature, the good folk of North Yorkshire are pretty plain speaking, pretty blunt, and they, they aren't that impressed by Sunak. They're not that impressed by Keir Starmer either, but there was a lot of sort of, well, you know, he's the best of two evils and all that sort of thing. He's not really the best candidate that Labour could put forward, I don't think. Um, I'm not really sure who is, but... He'll get my vote just because the Tories have burned the bridges with me, really, so. So that's Selby and Ainsty. Moving on, there's also a by-election being held in Somerton and Froome down in Somerset. Tell us why that by-election was triggered. Well, that was triggered by the departure of a chap called David Warburton, who was the sitting Tory MP. He had been photographed in the Sunday Times, no less, with substances chopped up in front of him that looked very like cocaine. And there was also then a claim of sexual harassment, which he's always denied. But he's sort of gone, you know, under a cloud, let's say. Mr Warburton had the Tory whip withdrawn in April 2022. It all follows a series of allegations of misconduct, allegations which have been investigated by Parliament's Independent Complaints and Grievance Scheme. And the seat is one of those classic rural Lib Dem Tory seats that's changed hands over the years. David Warburton elected as a Tory MP for Somerset and Froome in 2015, unseating the Lib Dems. They'd held the seat since 1997. He turned it into one of the safest Tory seats in the country. But as Again, pretty healthy majority down there now. And mm. what makes it different from the Lib Dem Tory battles of the 80s and 90s in seats like that was that this is a very pro-Brexit area and there is still a kind of residual leave vote that is not going to vote Liberal Democrat because they were seen to be on the other side of the argument. I think what a lot of Conservative strategists expect is that a lot of the Tory vote will just stay at home because oh, really? they're pretty disgusted with the state of things in general. And then obviously David Warburton departing in the way that he did has not exactly helped their cause down there. So I think we're expecting a pretty major swing there. And that seems to be, of the three, the one that is absolutely, totally, definitely lost for the Tories. I'm having to 
budget a lot more, asking my work for a pay rise or begging them. It's just, it's everything. It, it affects every aspect of your life. A lot of these real areas have got quite strong pockets of poverty and they're not drowning in job opportunities. Yeah. For me, like, I've got a good job. I'm a teacher, but I've had to take on a second job because you just can't keep up with stuff. Like the same, I've got two young kids and we want to be able to do things with them and, you know, go on holidays or do days out. And that's not possible unless I do my second job. The other thing I was going to point out about Somerton and Froome is that you can see a world in which voters in those kind of places would be more than content with some kind of coalition between Labour and the Lib Dems, while people are going to turn out and vote Lib Dem, and frankly, there wouldn't be much point in voting Labour down there. Be more right. than content to see Starmer as Prime Minister, and I think that shows you quite an interesting theme across the country. The best result for the Labour Party is a bloody nose for the government, and by-election defeats are as good a way of doing that as any. Coming up, Will the Tories lose Boris Johnson's old seat? And could these by-elections actually prove to be more damaging for Keir Starmer than Rishi Sunak? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And Tim, the seat everybody will be watching particularly closely because it used to be Boris Johnson's old seat is Uxbridge and South Ryslip. This has obviously come up because Boris Johnson has quit. It was an angry, fist-swinging exit. Boris Johnson attacked the Privileges Committee and judged him guilty of willfully misleading Parliament over lockdown parties. It had been a kangaroo court, he said. He'd been the victim of a witch hunt by anti-Brexiteers. And he took swipes at Rishi Sunak. He'd passively abandoned or junked Boris Johnson's most important policies. Tell us a bit about the seat and tell us a bit about how Boris Johnson walking away went down. Well, I think some people were sad and other people were absolutely delighted, as ever with Boris Johnson. There are not many people going, well, I mean, I don't really have a view on that. This is kind of the least emblematic of the three seats, Mm. weirdly, because it's the most complicated, because there's the feelings about Boris Johnson. It's also a West London seat. Lots of people there work at Heathrow. It's a kind of bustling place where people move through in their lives. And it's the kind of seat where Labour would certainly 
expect and want to get it in a general election, certainly would expect to win a by-election. But there's this sort of curveball that Sadiq Khan, the Labour mayor of London, has extended the ultra-low emission zone. And for those of you sensible enough not to live in London, that's a sort of uh, a £12.50 a day tax on polluting vehicles, which broadly amounts to all of them unless you have an electric car. And it's gone down extraordinarily badly. Misguided policy done for political reasons and dishonest reasons. We do need to do something about air quality, but I don't think that the poorest should suffer from it. It affects me because my business vehicle is non-compliant, even though it's not that old. And um, it's just causing me a load of trouble. It's going to cost me a load of money to change it. And the Tories, who don't have a lot to live for at the moment, have latched onto this and have run what appears to be a relatively effective campaign, saying now is not the time in the middle of a cost of living crisis to be slapping £12.50 a day on people's ability to use their cars. The point that people were making in the focus group down there was that the people who can't do that are the ones who often are hardest up. They're people running a one-man business, painters, decorators, builders, people who need to get in a van or a truck you know, they don't have a choice but to pay this money and it's the last thing they need at the moment. The Labour candidate down there has now had to sort of say he doesn't really support it, which is a bit of a U-turn. And Keir Starmer himself has been perched neatly on the fence, trying not to be seen to be condemning what Sadiq Khan is up to whilst saying he understands why the candidate has taken the view that he has. Now, the interesting thing about that is that's then played in some of the stuff I was hearing to a sense that he sits on the fence, that people don't really know what he thinks. The only time I ever hear about Keir Starmer in news or anything is when he's talking bad about the other party leader. I, I don't particularly like him, but I prefer him better than um, Rishi Sunak. But I think he's a bit of an opportunist as well. When anything's going wrong with the Conservatives, as it often does, he jumps on that bandwagon to make himself look better. And so it's kind of a, an interesting one. Johnson's majority was just over 7,000. And I think In a normal world, that would be wiped out easily. I haven't met a Conservative person who thinks they're going to hold this seat, but I do think they think it's going to be a bit closer than than they feared. You said within the party, people are talking about this as B-Day, by-election day, but also the day where their hopes for the next general election have finally flushed down the loo. What would it mean for Rishi Sunak if they did lose all three? I think right now it would be bad news, but there's the summer break coming and at the risk of using that terrible word, it's sort of priced in at this point. The optimists sit there in their darkened rooms. I I was at an event with a senior member of the cabinet a couple of weeks ago who patted the seat next to him and made me go and sit down next to him and he said... If we hold one of these, Starmer is in deep trouble. If we hold two of them, he's finished. And I thought, well, that's okay. Well, I'll put you in the optimistic column then. Um, (laughs) If one of the two that Labour is chasing was not grabbed, I think that ironically would be more of a problem, certainly publicly for Starmer, than it would be for Sunak. Um, That's really interesting. So people are pricing in that he's going to lose. Even if he manages to hold on to one, that will be seen as a success for him, but a failure for Starmer. I think that would probably is a fair way of looking at how the media and the political class would respond. But to a degree, politics is moving past the media and the political class now. The public is paying attention. And I think 
the vast majority of people have just had enough of all this now and want some kind of change. The thing that the Tories will tell you is, look, we were 15 points behind at the time of the local elections. We only lost by seven. When people actually get in a voting booth, they will have a choice to make between what they hope is a slightly revitalised Rishi Sunak and a Keir Starmer who has not yet sealed the deal with the British public and made them love him. And in that world, lots of things are possible. Given that there is such a big range of possibilities at the next election, as you said, by-elections aren't necessarily typical. They can be a protest vote. You can't necessarily read anything into them for what comes next. What will Rishi Sunak's team be hoping they can do between now and the general election to turn things around? I mean, what is their big strategy? Well, the strategy, in a sense, is to stick to the strategy they've got. But at some point, they're going to have to pivot to offering the country something. And I just sort of, I just slightly reframe what you said about by-elections. They don't tell us what is going to happen in the general election, but they are significant in that they contribute to the general passage and path of politics. And mm. if you lose three by-elections, that's bad. And that contributes to how people see you. And it makes life more difficult for you if you're a sitting government. Sunak, though, will part of it is cross your fingers and pray uh, if you're sitting in Downing Street. They hope inflation is going to come down. The latest Treasury estimates, as I understand it, are that his pledge to halve inflation by the end of the year will be missed by about one percentage point, but that they should hit it by about the end of January. And that we're likely to have a recession between quarter four this year and quarter two next year, which will obviously mean problems for growth. But if they come bounding out of that next summer they can somehow argue that growth is now rising. They will try and sit on the NHS as best they can and have some kind of cut in numbers. And they will hope they're able to start deporting people to Rwanda. And that may at least look like they're doing something about what they would call illegal immigration. And Tim, what about Labour? What's their strategy now? I think the criticism of Keir Starmer for the last three or four months is that he's just looked far too passive. Um, the final stage of his sort of bid for power is to look like a government in waiting. And Rachel Reeves, the shadow chancellor, has made more news in the last month for you turning on things and stopping things from happening that they'd previously pledged than she has from anybody making any actual announcements. Mm. They're going to need to pivot to some good retail offers that people can bang on the door with and say, look, this is what we are all about and this is why we're going to help you and your family. So you're going to see a lot more focus on kind of voter-friendly kind of things from both parties, I think. And Tim, from what you're hearing, how bad is morale inside the party? And, you know, a lot of these by-elections have come about because people quit in horror when Boris Johnson went in anger at Rishi Sunak. Is there any chance that there will be an attempt to get rid of him before the next election, particularly if these by-elections do very badly? Is there a world in which he goes? Oh, there's always a world in which the Tory party gets rid of its leader. That's one of the joys of covering the Tory party. You know, you're only ever three disasters from people putting their letters in. I think it's unlikely. Morale is bad. But changing leader now would be, I think, to the vast majority of the public, completely ludicrous and make them look even more um, ridiculous than they have made themselves look over the last few years. But of course, the other thing that will continue to happen is that who wants to take over now and then be responsible for what they assume is going to be an election defeat, perhaps quite bad? The real manoeuvring is to position themselves to be taking over for him afterwards. And I think you have to understand almost anything that is now said and done by Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, Cami Badenoch, Suella Braverman, James Cleverley, Tom Tugendhat, Henny Mordaunt in the context of 
we'd quite like to be the next leader of the Conservative Party. And then, of course, in the background... If that next person screws up, well, then maybe, just maybe, there might be an opening for the blonde bombshell to return. And that's his strategy. And I don't think it likely. I don't predict it happening. But if you think we've heard the last of Boris Johnson, you must be joking. been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Chief Political Commentator at The Sunday Times, Tim Shipman. You can find all of Tim's analysis at thetimes.co.uk if you're a subscriber, or in print on Sundays. And you can also hear him on Times Radio on PMQ's Unpacked with Matt Chorley every Wednesday. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak, with production assistance from Blanca Schofield. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.